Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Walking verse by verse through the scriptures, if you're visiting with us, this is how this is our default mode. This is how we teach the Bible. Uh, I feel like it's how we read the Bible. How we better it's it's just a better way to study, I think, than skipping around. But we are in chapter three, looking at verses one through eleven. Jake read some of those verses for us, and we're going to read uh, all of them in their entirety right now. Philippians chapter 3, if you're looking at the Black Pew Bible, you're trying to find it, it's 1165, page 1165. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. If you remember, Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church. He started this church in the second missionary journey. They have sent with Epaphroditus some money, some support, some things for Paul, and he is very thankful for this small Gentile church and he is writing this letter back to the Philippian church chapter 3 verse 1 finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and it is safe for you look out for the dogs look out for the evildoers look out for those who mutilate the flesh for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here are his credentials. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that you are good to us. Uh, 
We acknowledge that you are the good gift giver and every good thing we have comes from you. And Father, what a, what a blessing it is. You've been so good to us. You've given us a desire to be in fellowship today, in worship. And Lord, for some of us who didn't want to be here, you've given us mamas and grandmamas and daddies and uncles and granddaddies who drug us to church today. And we're thankful for them. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, truth sets us free. And Lord, we need to hear truth today. We're thankful for those who've sang truth for us and led us in singing. What a blessing they are to us, Father. You are worthy, Father, and we're not. And we come to you humble, yielded to you. We've confessed sin and we come now asking for grace. We recognize that we are needy people. We're here not because we got it together. We're here because we don't. And we need your help. Help us to understand your word. Help me preach the word and teach the word clearly. May we leave here with a better understanding of your will for our lives and empowered to go out and obey you in all things. We're thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul, in our text this morning, he just told the Philippian believers in chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, that Epaphroditus is being sent back to them so that they can see him. And if you remember from last week, Epaphroditus was ill. He came to Paul. And he was ill, and, and so much so they thought he was going to die. But as Chris pointed out this morning, that God had mercy on him. And he was able to, be, to gain, regain his strength and, and, and become healthy again. And Paul's sending him back, and he's sending him back so they can rejoice. He says in verse 29, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. See, Paul really does want these believers in Philippi to have Joy to experience the joy in the Lord. And that's our first point for this morning from our text. Three things we're going to learn today. The first one is rejoice in the Lord. And Paul goes from commending his co-workers. If you remember from last week, he's commending Epaphroditus and he's commending Timothy. He, he's, he sets them up as examples for us. Be like Timothy. Be like Epaphroditus. And he goes from commending his co-workers and today he's going to condemn those who teach a false gospel. He says here, firstly, in verse 1, to rejoice in the Lord. And it's interesting. He says, finally, my brothers, it kind of reminds us of preachers who are long-winded. Don't you hate preachers who are long-winded? They say, well, in conclusion, or finally, or we're going to wrap this thing up, or something like that, and then they continue on for another 30 minutes, right? Because when he says, finally, what do you do? You start putting your stuff away, right? Getting your stuff ready, and you're ready to get on out of here. Glad you don't have a preacher like that. But that word finally there could be, it could be that Paul says finally and then he chases a rabbit. You know, we got to understand that Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit writing this. So it's okay if he chased a rabbit in it, if he's inspired, right? It could be that he's just inspired and he, he has another thought that he runs off on a tangent, right? This Holy Spirit inspired tangent. Or it could be mean that he just means, well, furthermore, right? And so he says, well, furthermore, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And, and we've seen that already, haven't we? He says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. To write the same things. Well, he's already told this congregation to rejoice. He's mentioned the word joy and rejoice eight or nine times leading up to this. So he really wants them to have joy in the Lord. And think about their situation. If you, if you don't know their, the context, the believers in Philippi, they're, they're having a hard time. They're marginalized people. They're living in a Roman uh, culture, a Roman city. And they're poor. They don't have much. And on top of that, they're being persecuted. They're being mistreated because they're Christians. And 
Icing on the cake is their leader, their father in the faith, the Apostle Paul. He's in prison awaiting trial. Their father in the faith could lose his life. It's interesting. We live our, live our lives and we have things come upon us in life. And I think the enemy, Satan, he, he uses those things to steal our joy. See, the enemy wants us believers to think that when difficulties arise, that God is not being good to us. Or he wants us to think that God is not able to help us. He wants us to believe that God doesn't care for us and he's not listening to our cries for help. One commentator says, It is a rare virtue, speaking about this joy, that when Satan endeavors to irritate us by the bitterness of the cross so as to make God's name unpleasant to us, we rest in the taste of God's grace alone so that all annoyances, all sorrows, all anxieties and griefs are sweetened. Satan wants to steal our joy. He wants us to think that the difficulties that are brought on in life are the result of God not loving us. But Paul here, he admonishes and he encourages this church. He says, have joy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, to have joy in the Lord isn't an exercise where we deny our troubles, where we think, well, you know, life, I don't have any troubles. I don't really have any big troubles. I don't have any major troubles. Life's really going well for me. Yeah, there's some difficulties in life, but they're not really a big deal. That's not what it means to have joy. We don't say we don't have troubles in life because we do. And we don't say that our troubles really aren't all that big because some of us going in this congregation are going through really difficult terrible trials and difficulties in your life. Jesus, in John 15, 11, he says his mission is to bring us joy. These things I have spoken to you, Jesus says, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have joy. That's one of the reasons he came. And this joy that he says rejoice in, have joy in the Lord, this is a nevertheless kind of joy. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2. The writer of Hebrews says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Think about that. The joy that we're to have is a nevertheless kind of joy. Doesn't mean that we don't have trouble. It's we have we don't have uh, trouble and, and, and we don't have joy. No, we have joy despite our troubles. We have trouble. Nevertheless, we're going to rejoice in the Lord, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus had joy as he faced the cross. And he calls us, commands us, commands us to have joy. This is a joy that, that can't be snuffed out because of our circumstances. This type of joy can endure the trials of our lives. Jesus came to give us this type of joy, a nevertheless type of joy. And Paul says, he writes the same, the same things to you, is no trouble, writing the same things to you is no trouble to me, verse 1, and is safe for you. Well, what does that mean, that it's safe for the Philippian believers? 
How is it that when we are rejoicing or happy in the Lord, they are safe? We see in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 10. Notice the last part of that verse. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We sing that song sometimes, don't we? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy in or joy from the Lord is inherently strengthening. It strengthens us and emboldens us. Matthew Henry writes, The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures which, with which the tempter baits his hooks. What does joy do for us when we rejoice in the Lord? It helps us to resist the attacks that defeat others. It makes us more resilient the taste of joy renders the, the tempter's offerings bland by comparison. Are you joyful? Are we rejoicing? Do we have joy? Are we safe? Can I say at this moment that I'm safe? Can you say that? I think that's one thing maybe in our small groups next week we'll be able to have good discussion about. But to have joy in the Lord... We have to know the Lord. We have to be in the Lord. I think to, to have joy in the Lord, we have to know the Lord, firstly. But I think also we have to know His Word. David in Psalm 19.8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. David also says in Psalm 119, verse 14, In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I rejoice as much as in all riches. And Jesus, he says in John 15, verse 10 and 11, If you keep my commandments... You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So we, we're, we're commanded to rejoice, to, to have joy in the Lord. How do we do that? Well, firstly, we have to know the Lord. You can't have the joy of the Lord if you don't know Him. And you also have to be maturing in His Word. And having this joy strengthens us and helps us resist temptation and fight off the enemy's lies and the enemy's tactics. And Paul goes on to tell us how we can rejoice in the Lord. The second thing we learn here is to have joy, we must forsake merit and trust Christ. It's a works verse versus faith competition, isn't it? And it's no contest. Look at verses 2 through 9. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Paul is warning the Philippians here. No, he's actually commanding them to watch out for these people, these dogs, these evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Why? Because these dogs, they're false teachers, and false teachers are joy killers. False gospels, they don't result in joy, they result in bondage. 
So who is he referring to here when he calls these people dogs? They're the Judaizers who teach that you had to do, you had to merit God's favor. You had to do certain things to earn God's favor. And they were teaching that circumcision was a way to earn salvation. And these aren't your labradoodles. Isn't that the kind of dog you'll have? What is it? Golden doodle. Yeah, golden doodle. It's not a golden doodle kind of dog. These are the feral dogs, wild dogs, right? These ravenous dogs, like slobbering and foaming at the mouth kind of stuff. Cujo kind of deals, right? These are Judaizers. These are people who, Paul says, are evil and they want you to mutilate your flesh. That mutilate your flesh, is, of course, is talking about circumcision and removing the foreskin. And, um, it's interesting here, Paul would call these Jews dogs. Because if you think about it, who was considered dogs in the New Testament? Typically, it was the Gentiles, right? Because they didn't know the Lord. They were wicked and godless. In fact, remember the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7? You can make that note there. It's Mark chapter 7, verse 27 through 29, where she comes and wants Jesus to heal her child who is demon-possessed. And, and um, Jesus responds... Talking, to the, talking about the Gentiles being dogs. And she says, but at least the dogs, what do they do? They receive crumbs from the table, right? And so what did the Lord do? He healed their child. But since Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, there's been a dramatic reversal. Now we see Paul here talking to, about these Judaizers as dogs. They're the godless ones. They're the evil ones because they, they're teaching a false gospel. Of course, this whole circumcision thing goes back to Genesis 17, right? Where God, there was a man who was trusted the Lord named Abraham, and God chose him to be a father of a great nation. He was a father of the Israelites, the Jews, and those who trusted God received the sign of the covenant, which was circumcision, and their foreskin would be removed, and this set them apart from the pagan nations. And what the, the, the men who represented their families would take the sign which showed outwardly that they inwardly trusted the Lord. We see that in the Old Covenant, but in the New Covenant, which Christ instituted with His death and resurrection, now the sign of the covenant won't be circumcision of the foreskin of the flesh of the family head, but each one will have their hearts circumcised by the Spirit. That's the, the verse, uh, the text in Jeremiah 31 that Morgan read for us. There, that's the promise in the Old Testament. The prophets foretold of the, the coming new covenant. Well, it won't be an outward sign. It'll be an inward sign where the heart is, a heart of stone is removed and those who trust God will receive a heart of flesh. But here in Philippi, you have some Judaizers. And it's interesting, wherever Paul went, you always seem to have these Judaizers following. And they were causing problems in the church. These Judaizers thought that the Gentiles should be required, in addition to trusting Christ, they should have to keep the ceremonial rituals, the Mosaic law. They need to be circumcised. They need to keep the food laws, right? They needed to uh, follow the ritual practice of the ceremonial law. 
In other words, they should have to first become Jews, Jewish proselytes, before they could become Christians. In fact, after Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, they went out and shared the gospel. When they would go, where would they, where would they go first? When they go into a city, where would they go first to preach the gospel? They would go to the synagogue where the Jews were, if there was one, right? And then after the, the Jews wouldn't listen, they would go to the Gentiles. And after their first missionary journey, there was Gentiles who had come to faith in Christ. And so Paul's coming back to Antioch, the church that sent him out. He comes back in Acts chapter 15, do you remember? And he reports all these Gentiles were coming to faith. And it caused a stir among the Jews. And they didn't know what to do with it. And they had a, a, a council, Jerusalem council, in Acts 15.1. It says that some men came down, came down from Antioch, from Judea, and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what some people were saying. They had this council, and the apostle decided what was the result of that council. Yeah, the, the Gentiles didn't have to become Jews, right? No, they could repent and believe just, just as the Jews could. But wherever Paul went, even on the second missionary journey, the third missionary journey, there were Judaizers following him, right? Stirring up trouble. False teachers. So Paul is saying, don't listen to the false teachers. And in verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision. Who's he referring to here? That's what's interesting. He's kind of, you've got this reversal. We're here, the circumcision, Paul includes himself. He's a Jew, but primarily these are the Philippian believers who were primarily Gentile, for the most part, Gentile. He says, We're the circumcision. They're the dogs, and we're the circumcision, right? We're the circumcised ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, right? We don't stress these things, these outward things that mean nothing. Anymore, you know? They're in the new covenant. We don't live under the old covenant laws anymore. See, these new believers, they had circumcised hearts. Ezekiel 36, we see this promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, also in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. I'll give you a new heart. This is the promise of the new covenant. This is what's to come with Christ's death and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit will be poured out and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to obey, uh, cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. This is the promise of the new covenant. Paul often had to refute these Judaizers. We see that in the letter to the Galatian believers, the church in Galatia, Galatians 6.15. He says, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. See, circumcision wasn't wrong, but it is if you are depending on it for your justification. To go through the, the rites of circumcision, that's not wrong. But it is if you're depending on that to make you right with God. And in verse 4 through 7, some were arrogantly putting their confidence in the flesh, what they, had, what they did or what they had done. They think they can earn God's approval, and that's prideful, isn't it? That's arrogant, right? That's glorifying yourself. That's not giving God glory. It's glorifying yourself. This is what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I accomplished in my own merit, my own will. There's a rabbi. He was talking to a, a 
a minister one day. They were getting to know one another, and proudly the minister, he says, you know, one of my ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence. He's real puffed up and proud about that. And the rabbi said, I understand your pride. One of my ancestors signed the Ten Commandments. We do that. We try to one-up one another, don't we? But look at, look at Saul or Paul, and he was called Saul back in these days, verse 4 through 7. Saul was pretty accomplished. He had, a, he had a lot of plaques on the wall. If anyone could boast in his own credentials, it would have been Paul, and that's what he says. If anybody can boast about what they've accomplished in life, it'd be me. And what were some of his credentials? He says... Verse 5, he was circumcised on the eighth day. Yeah, he kept the rules, didn't he? Of the people of Israel, he had a, he had a good lineage. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he had status, didn't he? Because Benjamin, Judah, they were pretty prominent tribes. He also had rank. As to the law, a Pharisee, right? He had a pretty powerful position. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Not only was Paul a Jew, but he was the best Jew. He felt pretty confident in his own righteousness. He was doing pretty well in the world, but what did he do? He ran into the the yardstick himself, Jesus Christ, on the way to Damascus, didn't he? You remember that story? Flip over to Acts chapter 9 really quickly. Flip over to Acts chapter 9. And in, here in Acts chapter 9, he shares his testimony about how he came to faith. Let's read, read some of this. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still bringing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him to, for letters to the synagogue at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means Christian, right? Found any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He might arrest them. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now remember... Saul, as he was called then, he had a lot of credentials. He was a Jew of all Jews. He had accomplished a lot. He felt really good about himself. Look what I have done. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting Arise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Look at verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Oh, Saul was feeling pretty good about himself, wasn't he? He had a lot of accomplishments. He was righteous in his own eyes, but then he ran into Jesus, and he was thirsty and hungry and blind. And here in Philippians chapter 3, Paul
Paul isn't sharing his testimony as he did in Acts, but he, what he does tell us is what he learned from his experience. What his conversion experience taught him. And what did it teach him? Look at verse 7 through 9 of Philippians 3. He thought a lot of himself, a lot of accomplishments. Verse 7, but whatever gain I had, all those things that we just mentioned, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, now he's a believer. He learned those things are worthless. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. What did Paul lose? He lost his reputation, his position, his retirement plan, his status, his reputation. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as what? Garbage. Dog mess. Chicken litter. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. He says, all those things that I had that I lost because I trusted Christ, they used to be mean so much to me. Garbage. Nothing. Pile of manure. I was thinking about this, trying to come up with some illustrations um, to help us with this. It's like being in a boat, I think. And you're in a boat, and it's a small boat, and you're on a big lake, big body of water, and you're trying to get to the other side. And you, you're in that boat, it's you, and you have this big piano. You're trying to get from one side to the other. And because the piano is really, really heavy, it's weighing that boat down. And by the time other boats come by, and, and the wind picks up, and it starts white capping, before you know it, water's coming in the boat. And you realize that if this boat sinks and you're in the middle of this lake, you're, you're doomed. You're going to die. And so what do you do? You get that piano and you somehow rock it and you get it overboard and you throw it in the water and it sinks. It's a very expensive piano, da 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 But you know what? When you get to land, you're not worrying about the piano, are you? Because you, your life was spared. So Paul's saying, all this stuff, the credentials, all the stuff that was so important to me, all the stuff that, that I did that gave me glory, nothing. Like pile of manure. Doesn't mean anything to me. Why? Because now I know Christ. Circumcision is not wrong. But if you're depending on it, that keeps you from Christ. That keeps you from life. All the status, I'm a good person, I'm a this, I'm a that. I mean, think about it. What is it that, that what are our credentials that we lean upon and trust in? Is it your, your morality? Is it because you, you obey your parents, you never get in trouble? Is it being in church and giving money to the church? Is it the Bible you're reading? Is it the, the, the big sins you're avoided? You know, all my, all my buddies, they've all been unfaithful. They're wise, but I've been faithful to mine. Maybe it's that. What is it that we're depending on? That we're holding up saying, look God, look what I've done. Anything like that? All those things may be good, but if, it's, if you're depending on that 
to make you right with the Lord, that's keeping you from Christ because you can't come to Jesus holding on to all that stuff. That's why Paul had to be hungry and thirsty and blind. There's a 180 degree turn when you stop saying, look what I've done for God and, and you say, look what God's done for me. Different way of looking at things, isn't it? And, and look what I've done for God. That's our default mode, people. That's our default mode because we're arrogant and we're prideful and we want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and we want to get her done, grit her teeth and get her done. That's what we want to do. That's our default mode. And that's what we keep going back to. That's legalism. If I can just check off the boxes, do this, 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 and God's going to do this for me. Tony Merida, he says, legalism is self-atonement. It is self-salvation. It's a self-salvation project that leads only to pride or despair. We must resist the gospel of human achievement at all cost. The false gospel of human achievement. It, it's running rampant in our world and even in the church. And the difference between trusting in ourselves and trusting Christ and His work is the difference between knowing Christ and not knowing Christ at all. Notice how Paul, he says, he mentions knowing Christ twice in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Then he says down in verse 10 that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. So you can know about Christ. You can know who He is and what He's done and not know Him savingly. Not know Him personally. When you hold on to your stuff, all the things you've accomplished and things you've done or the things you haven't done, that keeps you from knowing Christ because you can't come to Christ holding on to all of that. You can't be good enough and come to Jesus. You've got to be broken, recognizing you're not good enough, recognizing your need, your despair, your hopelessness. And to know Christ savingly as your Savior, as your Lord, is more valuable than anything else in this world. Think about it. You can know people. You can know um, about someone, know what they've done, where they work, where they live without knowing them personally, right? You can know Jesus is the Son of God, born in Bethlehem, brought up in Nazareth. You can know that He died on a cross to be punished for our sins. You can know all the things about Jesus and never have been introduced to Him. And how are you introduced to Him? You know, that we think about that as two people introduced. Because some of you have been introduced to one another this morning for the first time. You've never seen one another. You come in church. You introduce yourself to one another. How are we introduced to the Lord? By repenting, right, of our sin and trusting Christ's work on the cross. That's how we're introduced to God, right, through Christ. And when we see here, in knowing Christ, anytime you see that in the New Testament, it's always talking about salvation. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. 
So the question this morning is, do you know Him? Do you know the Lord? Do you know Christ? Those who trust in Christ alone are the, are the circumcision, right? The true people of God. Real quickly, let's go back to verse 3. What, what characterizes the people of God? Are you, are you a, a, a follower of Christ? Are you the true people of God? Can you say you know Him personally? You've been introduced to Him. Where's well, characteristics of the people of God? We serve, we worship by the Spirit. Look at verse 3. And, and whenever you read this, who worship by the Spirit of God, what, what, is, what, is that, what comes to your mind? Anything come to your mind? John 4 comes to mind. The woman at the well, she's talking about, she's arguing with Jesus. She's a Samaritan. You know, the temple's in Jerusalem, but they have a temple there in, in Samaria, and she's talking about where are we going to worship, and what did Jesus say? Do you remember? True worshipers will worship the Father, how? In spirit and in truth. And that characterizes believers. We worship in spirit, right, and in truth. We also boast in Christ, glory in Christ Jesus. Look at that. We make believers, if you're a believer, Caleb, you glory in Christ. Galatians 6, 14. Paul, he says, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through the cross, and I to the world. Characteristic of a believer, we make much of Christ. And in, there at the end of verse 3, we put no confidence in the flesh. Another characteristic of a, a believer Earthly accomplishments, they mean nothing. They're like manure, garbage. Our hope comes only in Christ. He did the work we couldn't do, and His work is the basis of our confidence. That's how we approach the Lord, in confidence. That's how we can approach Him boldly, because of what Christ has done in Christ alone. So how do we have joy? He says, rejoice. Well, firstly, we don't put confidence in our own efforts, right? We trust solely in Christ's work. Third point, how else do we have joy? To have joy, we must seek Christ to be like Him. Look at verse 10 and 11. I just want to know Christ, right? Verse 10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ right, is to be justified, justification. To be like Christ, grow in His likeness, we call that sanctification, right? And then when Christ returns, we'll be like Him in glory, and we call that glorification, okay? But Paul has forsaken all things, and he just wants to know Jesus. But, but notice... Jesus isn't just a means to an end. He wants to know Him, right? Jesus, being a Christian, being saved, being born again, knowing Christ isn't just a ticket. It's not just a means to an end. Just trust in Jesus so you can get to heaven. Hey, folks, heaven's not the goal. Jesus is the goal, right? The Lord's the goal. He's not just my ticket. He's my treasure, want to know Him, right? And the power of His resurrection. You experience resurrection power. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've, if you're a believer, you've experienced resurrection power. If you're a born-again believer, you've experienced that power of your, your want to, your desires being changed, empowering you to overcome sin, saying no to the flesh. You've experienced that, that power of the resurrection, that, the same power that raised Jesus from the grave on the third day. It lives in us. We have the Spirit and it empowers us to obey, changes our desires. Ephesians chapter 1, back, back to Ephesians again, I want to read this for you. Chapter 1, it's Paul's praying for the Ephesians. Flip back there real quick. It's, just, it's the, 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 the book prior to Philippians, there's a couple pages, Ephesians 1. He's praying for the, for the Ephesian believers. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers. And he's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, and, and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. according to the working of his great might, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So he's praying, he's praying you that these Ephesian believers would experience this resurrection power. And if you're a believer, you, you have experienced that. And you can, you can identify with that. But also, he says he wants to Know Christ, the power of his resurrection, verse 10 of Philippians chapter 3, and may share in his sufferings. Notice that the power of the resurrection, that comes first, right? I want to experience the power of the resurrection, right? So you can share in the sufferings of Christ. That, that power of the resurrection precedes the fellowship of the sufferings. Nobody can embrace the fellowship of Christ's sufferings who first doesn't know the power of Christ's resurrection that resurrection power in your life, that allows you to suffer with Christ. Because what happens, why, does, why, would, why would Paul say, I want to I know Christ, the power of his resurrection. We get that. But why does he say, I want to share in his suffering? How many of you want to suffer? You know, no, no one wants to suffer. But Paul says, I want to I experience, I have this fellowship with Christ in his suffering. Why? Because when you suffer for Christ's sake, you identify with him, you become more like him, you know him more intimately. And knowing the power of his resurrection and sharing in his, in his sufferings, they go hand in hand, like Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, right? They go hand in hand. In tandem, this power of the resurrection and sharing in, in Christ's suffering, having this fellowship with Christ in his suffering, it provides a way of, of knowing him more. And we've been told in 
Philippians 1, verse 29, that it's, it's a gift. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you, right, that you believe, but also that you suffer for him. Suffering's a gift he gives to us so we can know him better. Acts 14, 22, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul's purpose is what he wanted to know Christ and know him more intimately. I just want to know Jesus more. I just want to know Jesus more. I just want to know Jesus more. I just want to grow in my intimacy with Christ so I'm willing to suffer like Christ so I can know him more, be more intimate with him. We'll talk more about that in our small groups. Paul wanted to also attain the resurrection from the dead. He wanted to be with the Lord in glory. Call that glorification, don't we? And it's just not being like Jesus, because we say that a lot. I, I talked with one of our um, one of our shut-ins who's not in very good health, and she said, you know, I, I'm real excited about not having physical pain and not having struggles breathing, not having all the struggles that, that I have, going to dialysis. Can't wait when I have a new body. She says, but more importantly, I just can't wait to be intimate with the Lord. Because, see, we worship in spirit and in truth. But, man, we're so distracted even in our worship, aren't we? I mean, your quiet time, you draw near the Lord. What do you think about everything but Jesus? I don't know if you, Blake's probably like this. We're, we're task-oriented people. I have a, a pad there, and I, I take notes of all the things I want Morgan to do. Right? I'm trying, I'm, trying, I'm trying to study. I'm trying to draw near the Lord. I'm trying to meditate on the scriptures. I'm trying to understand this verse and how this applies to me. And then everything in the world pops up. Yeah, we need to move that picnic table to that gazebo. You know? We need to do this. We need to do that. Da, 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 da. And then think about my kids. I think about my wife and what's going on there. And I just have this list so I don't have to. I just Okay, that's good. Writing all these things down. We're just so distracted, aren't we? Miss Betty says, you know, one day I'm going to be like him. I'm going to have his body, and I'm going to be able to worship as I'm supposed to worship. And I'm going to know him more intimately than I ever have here on earth. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. We, we experience, we want to know Christ. Paul says, I just want to know Jesus. I just want to know him. That's what my life's ambition is, to just know Christ. And I want to experience the, the, the power of the resurrection. And I want to share in, in the fellowship with Christ's sufferings because that's going to help me know him better. And I want to be with him in glory. Because not only am I going to be like him, not have physical ailments, but I'm going to be able to know him and be intimate with him. There's going to be no barriers. There's no distractions. There's no flesh. There's no kids and no stuff to do and no da 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 da, da whatever it is that distracts us. We're not going to have that. We're just going to be able to know him. We're going to be like him, be able to worship him for all eternity. What a great... They, that'll be. That's Paul's ambitions to know Christ. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and we'll be able to be intimate with him and know him. Yeah, that's Paul's passion. Paul, he possessed Christ's resurrection power. He, he wanted to know Christ better and better, and you do that by suffering for Christ. And, and so he rejoiced in his sufferings. He's in prison. Paul's in prison. 
Waiting trial, not real sure what's going to happen there. Hopefully he's going to get out, but not real sure. But he rejoices in the Lord, and he des desires to know Christ better. He anticipates a glorious resurrection that's going to enable, enable him to know his Savior even more. Timothy, Epaphroditus, they're good examples. Paul's a good example for us too, isn't he? How do we apply this to our lives? We, we want to leave here and, and, and we want to know, okay, what I need to do now? Well, the first thing you need to do, believer, is you need to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not real sure how to do that. We've got to figure that out because all through here we've been telling, Paul's telling us, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Be happy in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Have the joy of the Lord. We've got to figure that out, beaver. We've got to know how to do that, church. We've got to fight for joy and we have to rejoice in the Lord. One of the ways we do that is the second way we apply this text, Nevaeh, is we watch out for false teachers. Anybody that tells us you got to do something, you got to do something, you got to do something, you got to do something. You got to earn, you got to earn, you got to earn, you got to merit, you got to merit. Eh. Those are dogs. Those feral dogs, not your labradoodle dogs, right? They're feral dogs. And we have to be aware of those people. We have to correct those people, rebuke those people. Stay away from false teachers who peddle a works-based gospel. And, and, and lastly, we have to make sure that knowing Christ is our utmost ambition, our utmost goal. Can you say, yeah, I just want to know Christ better. Look, look, think about your last week and for all of us. Think about your last week, how you spent your time, how you spent your energy, what you did. Can, can we look back at your life and say, yeah, there's evidence there that you really want to know Christ more and more and more and more. If not, we need to repent and we need to, we need to seek and pursue him. J.I. Packer, he put it well. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. It's a good word. Church, we need to, we need to repent because I think your pastor spends a lot of time doing things and it's not pursuing Christ. I think we spend a lot of time doing things. We need to not waste so much time. We need to pursue Christ, getting to know Him better, knowing Him more intimately. So we can have joy, right? So we can have joy. We need us some joy. We need to rejoice in the Lord. So let's do that. Let's ask the Lord. Maybe our, our last believer, maybe our last application will be, let's ask the Lord to help us do these things. Lord, help me to rejoice in you. Help me not to listen to myself or to others when they try to propagate a false works-based gospel. Father, help me to pursue you above all things. You tell us, seek first your righteousness and your kingdom and all these things we added to me. But Lord, I, I want to add all these things first. Maybe you're here and you're, you don't have the joy of the Lord. You don't have joy in the Lord because you're not in the Lord. You've yet to repent. You've yet to trust Christ, work on the cross as your own. You're not born again. You're, there's no joy because all that you have to look forward to is separation from God for all eternity. Where he'll pour out his wrath upon you because you deserve it. Maybe that's what you that's what's keeping you from having joy. Repent. Trust Christ. Jesus died. He went to the cross. 
he received the, the, the Father's wrath. He died, and on the third day, he rose from the grave. The Bible says he rose from the grave for our justification, so you and I could be justified, so sinners could be justified. He showed himself to his disciples, and 40 days later, 40 some odd days later, he ascended into glory. But he says, one day I'm coming back, and I'm going to gather my church, those who trust me, and those who have rebelled and don't trust me, I'll judge. And that's what you have to look forward to. Repent, sinner. Turn from your sin. Trust in your own works, and your own goodness, your own whatever, and, and trust Christ. If you have a question about how to do that or what that entails, I'd love to talk to you. There's a lot of people here, a lot of believers here in this room that'd love to talk to you about how to repent and trust Christ. We'd love to have a baptism, will we? Here pretty soon. If you've never trusted Christ, you need to. Let's pray. Father, you are you are a, a wonderful, loving gracious God you're long suffering but Father you're also judge you are just and you will pour out your wrath upon sinners Lord there's not a person who's been created who doesn't deserve your wrath Father for those of us who believe we're thankful for the work you've done you've, you've rescued us from the dominion of darkness you brought us into the kingdom of your son it's all your work and we're thankful Father, help us to rejoice. Help us to have joy in Christ. Lord, some of us are going through terrible times with our family, with health, with, with issues, just struggling in life. But Lord, you, you command us to have joy in you. And you want us to have joy in you. Help us to, to fight for joy. Lord, help us to, to resist false teachers. And Lord, when I, in our own minds, when we're thinking wrongly about salvation, about justification about you and, and our relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to resist all thoughts and all uh, false gospels. Lord, help us, Father, to want to know you better. Lord, may this week, may we draw near to you regularly. May we read your word and draw near to you in prayer. Lord, may we obey you in what we know to do. May we apply and obey you this week so we can know you better. Father, for those here that are lost, maybe they're children, maybe they're students, maybe they're adults, Father, I pray that you would allow the gospel that they've heard today, that Christ came for sinners. He died for sinners, and he rose on the third day so sinners could be justified. Lord, may that sweet message ring loud in their ears, and Lord, may they repent even now, crying out to you for mercy. Lord, give us grace as we leave. May those that need to repent, may you grant repentance. May those of us who are believers, when we leave, may you give us grace to obey. Pray for our small group time tonight, that you would bless it, that it would be sweet, that you'd bring uh, the people that you want to come to those. Lord, for our people that are home, that are, that are watching uh, via Facebook Live, we just pray for grace in their lives. And Lord, when, when opportunity uh, arises, when uh, I just pray that you would bring us back, Lord. And I'm so thankful for the, for the faces that we haven't seen in a while, that you brought people back to us today, that we can be in fellowship, we can love one another. May you continue to, to bring your church back, that we could be the body you want us to be. For those who are sick, I think about Miss, Miss Dale as she's in 
rehab for the next two weeks. We just pray for grace for her. Lord, may you heal her hip. May she be able to return home in two weeks. We pray for Miss Betty that you would bless her. Lord, draw her to yourself. Lord, that she would uh, feel well today, that that fluid around her heart would dissipate. Lord, that, that um, she would, her oxygen levels would be good, that she would be able to draw near to you today unhindered. For Mr. Cece, Lord, as he's uh, struggling at home, and just pray for him that you would pour out your grace upon his life, that today he would draw near to you, that his breathing uh, would clear up. Lord, his oxygen levels would, would raise and he would have more energy. Just pray for him, that you'd bless him. Give us grace as we leave. Empower us to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.